the most important thing of starting a business is you got what it takes to put in that grit. Hi, I'm Zoe. Hi, I'm Erica. Hey, Erica. This is our podcast. Well, what do we do on the podcast? Uh, we talk to wellness experts. What do we talk about? Mm, wellness stuff. And why are we doing this? Because we want to have an inclusive conversation about things that you can actually use and apply to your life. Right. We don't think that wellness should feel preachy. We think it should feel like everybody can participate. That's right. So if you like what you hear, tell a friend. Give us five stars. They're do all free. All of the above. All of the above. And think of us as your navigators on the bumpy highway to well. We're just going to get right to it. Just get right to it. What do you got? Uh, I got a really good episode about a wonderful beverage line that had a very interesting beginning. And, you know, it's one of those classic cases where like it started out as one thing and then turned into something totally different, which... It's always a fun lesson in like staying open to new ideas yeah. and pivoting and all that rock. I think, so we're talking about Diana Trout, who is one of the co-founder, co-CEO and a co-founder of Health Aid Kombucha. And yeah, their story definitely started in a very different place than where it ended. Where it has ended, as we see, is in groceries nationwide and across the globe and with an incredible product that everybody loves. I love it. Mm. So and I like it. Huh? So does your kid. Yes, she does. She like, she's drunk on kombucha like every day. It's pretty fun. <laughs> but it's cool. It's like, this is like the new soda for kids. I don't know if they like it. It's kind of amazing. But yeah, it was cool. Dinah's cool. Um, we were saying earlier, we have uh, firmly implemented a no assholes policy for the year 2021. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, get on the bus or don't even stop. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we decided this is, there's no room for any more stress in 2021. So we've, we're creating boundaries. Uh, there's a circle of trust. Within that circle of trust are non-assholes. So yeah. any, <laughs> it's pretty straightforward. We're going to talk more about that policy later in a minisode. Uh, we'll, we're going to delve into it a little bit more. But for now, let's delve into this story that has to do with kombucha. And uh, yeah, that's it. All right, let's have it. Enjoy. We love giving you ad-free episodes, but you're going to have to listen to this one real quick. Because this episode is brought to you by us. Yes, our brand new brand, Earth and Star, is taking your daily habits like cold brew and matcha and elevating them with adaptogens to give you some ridiculously healthy benefits. Benefits such as cognitive function, calm, stamina, and a huge boost to your immune system, which I think we can agree we all need right now. Our super convenient, ready-to-drink lattes are 100% certified organic, plant-based, made with, what else? Rothy oat milk. Is there any other kind of oat milk today? I don't think so. No packets or tubs or clumpy, weird powder that no matter how much you try to mix it, it never seems to dissolve. Just a delicious little can of magic. We've got all the flavors. We've got cold brew coffee, matcha, turmeric, cacao, which is basically adult chocolate milk. And we are adding 2,000 milligrams, that is no small dose, of functional mushroom extracts like lion's mane and chaga to basically upgrade your everyday habit into a kick-ass functional latte. Kick-ass. Kick-ass. Available at earthandstar.com. 
Take 15% off with the code HTW at checkout. Earth and Star Mushroom Lattes. Amazing taste. Healthy as sh- Well, okay. So officially welcome, Dana. Dana. Oh, it is Dana. Okay. Yes, it's spelled. So it's spelled like Dana, but it's pronounced like Dina, but it's not spelled like Diana. It's funny. It's a Lithuanian name and Dina is a super common name over there. And it's com- it's spelled like D-A-I-N-A, like my name. Um, but yeah, in, in the States, it's like a really hard thing because yeah, I guess it's pronounced like D-I-N-A-H. Right. Oh, I was just thinking it was... You were named like very sweetly after the cat from Alice in Wonderland. I was, that's the same Dinah I referenced too. That's what you're thinking too. Yeah. I know. Nobody knows that reference. They usually say, Dinah, won't you blow? Yeah, that's not Uh, nice. That was fun growing up to that. Um, Yeah, Dinah, won't you blow? Or someone's in the kitchen with Dinah, which I actually like that one because I like kitchen. (laughs) Because of your, your kitchen roots. Yeah. Well, all right. So let's talk about it. How'd you end up in the kitchen, Dinah? <laughs> you know, that's a good question. I think like it probably goes back to my mom. My mom was a was a was somebody who always cooked like fresh, real food, whole food, healthy meals. So like we always had really delicious dinners at the table together as a family. Everything was always like just delicious and real. And I think that's probably it's unfair to say I got into food without that because I think that was a huge part of it. But, you know, more, probably more officially or more formally got into it when, when I devoted five years of grad school to it. Um, So yeah, like undergrad, I was into health already. Uh, I was pre-med and thought I was going to be a doctor, but then I kind of switched paths and went to do my master's in nutrition and master's of public health. Um, after undergrad. And um, it was there that I really fell in love with food because it wasn't just about cooking with it. You're learning about all of the you know, impact it can have on health. And so I started to heal with it and play with it. And I did all kinds of crazy things there. Like I was, you come to my house and I'd have like things sprouting on the counter, you know, like I was a, I started to get into all kinds of creative stuff and fermenting was one of those things. Uh, I learned how to make kombucha in grad school, but it was sort of one of the many things I made. I made really awesome kimchi and yogurt and just sort of incorporated that into all of my cooking and daily life. And then, of course, my friends were my guinea pigs. So, And at yeah, the time, I, nobody talked about gut health being like a buzzy thing. So I'm sure you yeah. got some raised eyebrows. Yeah, it wasn't really... It was just at the beginning of understanding the impact of probiotics. When I was in grad school, it was a lot more about like heart health. But we were starting to learn about the importance of gut health and you know, probiotics were starting to become popular. I really saw the, the power of fermented food though more anecdotally than like, you know, out of a textbook. Because again, at the time it was more about um, like probably the focus was more about heart health. So one example, but I have a few. My my husband, he's now you know, strapping, good looking, 175 pounds, six one male. Okay. Now like then, so what was that? My God, 2007, we graduated. So that's like way too long ago. Anyway, he was like 120 pounds, maybe less. And so it was really like sick. He had stomach issues all the time and couldn't really hold anything down. Always upset stomach, could eat a limited amount of things. And you had been to the doctor several times on several medicines and he was about to go on medicine kind of for life at you know the young age of 21. 
And of course, like wide-eyed and bushy-tailed nutritionist, I'm like, let me heal you, darling. Um, And so I asked him to give me six weeks and uh, he did. And it was like not even a week. It took maybe two hours. I'm not even kidding you. Like all the years he had dedicated to trying to fix his gut or to fix his issue with food and whatever was happening inside. Like two hours after drinking kombucha and eating like kimchi, he could then have like a full meal and not be upset about it. Like he wasn't upset by it. And then I was like, whoa, I remember that moment of being like, that's not normal. Let's see if that works again. And um, it just completely shifted and never went back. Like it was immediate within hours. And like now he just has fermented food every day and he's like completely fine. And so... And I have a few examples like that where I kind of was blown away by the simplicity of something like fermented food being able to have the you know the that sort of grand of an impact. So you know, it, I started to understand the importance of gut health way back then, but I had no idea it was going to be like my mission, purpose, and entire life identity ten years later. That's amazing. What did they actually? What did the doctors suggest was wrong with him? And what did he think was? I mean, what was actually like for it to have an impact that quickly is really amazing. Yeah, I know. So he was diagnosed with like irritable bowel syndrome, basically catch all. It's a basic catch all for we don't really know what's happening, but your 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 stomach gets irritated, and it's amazing. But like I think like close to ten percent of the population has this diagnosis. So it's like not a small thing. And people just don't really know what to do about it. And it's not like going to kill you. So it's not something you probably hear about on like the top 10 lists of things you have to, you know, avoid. But um, it's certainly something people struggle with. And the fact that there could be a solution so simple at their fingertips is sort of something I'd like to connect. Again, I don't know that everybody's going to experience it like he did, but it's certainly worth a try because it's just food. Right. So it's, you know, it's four bucks, four bucks a day or three bucks a day. Pretty, pretty simple solution in my mind. So you guys, you and your husband are business partners, right? We are business partners and not just us. My third, the third co-founder is my uh, best friend, uh, Vanessa. And so, yeah, the three of us started this thing a little over eight years ago. Okay. Can we talk about the origin story? Because it's, I, it's hysterical and um, I love it. And we're going to go from balding to booch. Yeah. And you already know the story. I love it. Hair loss to health aid. Yes. So yeah. Okay. So we, the origin story is the three of us were all feeling like we needed to start a business. That's the, that's a very important part of the story because it was and like, like what age? Um, I was uh, just under 30. I was 29. Justin was 27 and Vanessa was 25. So as the wise one of the group, you know, I'm just kidding. Uh, But we did, we all felt unfulfilled in our lives for different reasons. We all had our different kind of like experiences that led us here, but we found ourselves connected, right? Justin was my boyfriend. Vanessa was my best friend. And we just found ourselves in the same spot, which was we want to do something big. We want to make a mark that we can be proud of on our own terms. It was clear we wanted to start something and it was it was that passion to make a mark we could be proud of that drove us. So it wasn't. I think there's a lot of concept. There's sort of a um, assumption out there that like I was this nutritionist in a science lab and thinking that kombucha was going to change the world. And that really wasn't the case. Kombucha ended up being the vehicle for the passion, but the passion really was to build something we could be proud of. And 
even in that mission or whatever you call that, each of us had our own drive. For me, it was very much about building a company of people that wanted to work for that company because it like it like it created this ecosystem of like or organism of like sustainable happiness and healthiness. Like that was very much the driver for me. And I wanted to prove I could lead it and build it. For Vanessa and Justin, it was something else. So it's kind of cool. We all ended up in the same place with equal sort of passion and dedication to the effort, but different reasons behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's similar to why you guys started your podcast. But um, I find it's important to talk about that because sometimes people have this drive to start something, but they don't always know what it's going to be. And that was very much what happened with us. So we found ourselves in the spot. We knew we wanted to start something. We didn't know what that something was going to be. Well, what were you uh, doing? Like, what, what, what were you doing at the time for, for work? You were just past your, you know, quarter life crisis. So were you in like... Besides drinking, what was I doing? <laughs> um, so for work, I was working for a pharmaceutical company, which if you knew me, especially at that time, that was a really odd pair and matchup. Um, I was super into food and nutrition and how those things might impact health. And I wouldn't even like take an Advil. I was a little bit like over overkill on that uh, arena, if I could say so now to myself back then. Um, but yeah, you know, really odd that I worked for a pharma company. But if you were to sort of dig into my life, you'd, you'd get it probably. Um, you know, post grad school, I mentioned I did two masters, right? And then undergrad at a private university. I had like a nice big sort of hefty debt to take care of after grad school. And I didn't realize this going in, but coming out, recognized that it would take several years for me to build a clinical practice if I wanted to become a nutritionist. And so that wasn't going to be a viable route as far as like payback of debt goes. Uh, Public health wasn't exactly uh, a lucrative space at that time. My husband or my boyfriend at the time was a musician and, you know, he was going to move to LA and give it a shot. But also that meant that my job had to sort of take care of the family for a bit. And so there really weren't many options coming out of grad school that were standard. And I got recruited and I wasn't even looking at pharmaceutical companies, but I got recruited by one. They were looking for scientists, nutritionists to help advance and launch their first nutraceutical line. So it was like basically super high doses of um, like vitamins or natural substances. That's why they're called nutraceuticals or like pharmaceuticals and um, to basically help represent it. So it actually felt pretty aligned. They, they were in particular launching a product called Loveza, which was a, a omega-3 in hyperdosis for high triglycerides. And I had just done my thesis on high triglycerides and how they impact cardiovascular disease. So it like actually made a lot of sense. Um, and they, they were able to pay me well. So that's how I ended up in pharma. And then it was kind of cool. My very first day, I got partnered with Vanessa. Oh, wow. So that's when you met. Put us together. Yeah. And it was a, it was a pretty fun day. So at, in pharma, you do these things called ride-alongs usually. And so you like, you know, wouldn't do it today, I guess, but you hook up with the person that's like on your team, you sit in their car and you go together to different offices and meetings. So it was just sort of complete, complete pure luck that I got paired with Vanessa and we became fast friends. She happened to have broken up with her boyfriend the night before. So you know, she was particularly vulnerable and I'm good with people like that in those moments. So we just became like, all those things had to happen, you know? I don't know. It was cool. And, and we didn't know it then, of course, um, how much our relationship would mean to each other. But uh, it was clear immediately that we were like sisters from another mister, you know? 
And I am really grateful for that day and to have been put on that team. Because honestly, I don't think that Health Aid could have happened without each of the three of us. It was almost like perfectly placed in the stars or something. Um, But yeah, in pharma, my life evolved. And I think that very much was critical for ending up in the spot of starting Health Aid. I had a job as a salesperson, but I did well and like was able to test out management like get into positions of management of people. And I really liked that. I liked figuring out what makes people tick, what makes them work, what makes them work harder um, and make, what makes them feel good about working and coming to work. I like loved that sort of science, I guess you could call it. Um, so I liked it. And I also felt that I was good at it. And so like the more I did it, the more I liked it. And I was able to enter this sort of leadership program and at these pharma companies, they invest, they're like the big corporations that are able to invest like a lot of money in these types of tracks. So it was like a really lucky position to be in. And in that track, I think I've, I, I sort of heightened my, I turned sort of what might have been a raw talent into actual like skills of leadership. And anyway, found myself in a position oddly to be a, a change agent where, where basically my whole job was to improve engagement of a, of, of, a, of a particular geography of its own employees. And I just like completely, I would say, flourished and thrived. And I loved the lack of structure and the goal of engagement. And I was able to, you know, win the award, blah, blah, blah. And it was there that I kind of recognized, wait, I want to lead something like big. And, and that was very much what drove me to say, we're going to start a business and like we, and it's going to be great. And we're going to be able to like get people to join us. And we're, you know, so now what's that thing going to be? So that's a little background about how that sort of yeah. beginning first entrepreneur club looked it's, it, from my perspective coming in. Yeah. It's always interesting to hear what people are doing, you know, before they sort of, I mean, that that's a, it's a pretty big departure, I guess you could say, but then there's also, you know, it makes a lot of sense, right? You get the through line and healthy yeah. is, is, I mean, it's a huge company now, at least from a consumer standpoint, like, you know, visually it appears as though, I don't know what your like revenue is or anything like that, but it seems like GT, you know, kombucha or whatever has been around kind of as a leader and for a very long time and, and it didn't really get much of a run for its money until HealthAid came along in my <laughs> So congrats to you. How, so how did you, I mean, tell me how you came up with the idea. Yeah. So um, you alluded to it already, like started at hair loss. So the, at, at, this meet, at this meeting, we came up with all kinds of ideas, right? And we were excited to look into all of the ideas we came up with. But one of the major factors was that we didn't have any money. So a lot of the ideas we came up with that were going to take you know, a couple hundred grand or something to even explore, we just really had to take off the list. Justin, on the side, I mentioned he's a musician, but on the side to make some extra cash. He worked, I guess, as an assistant for a really successful businessman who made um, all of his you know, money by selling products for hair loss. And Justin was really floored with how far people would go to protect their hair. I mean, people <laughs> would send envelopes of pennies, you know, and for a product that like kind of only sort of worked, it didn't actually solve the problem. It just solved it for the day. It would make your hair kind of look thicker just that day. Anyway, so Justin was like, if we could actually find something that worked here, uh, it could be real. And, you know, thinking back to my nutrition days, I'm like, food is huge and can heal. If it can heal the gut, it can probably heal the hair. Let's look into if there are natural 
effective ways to um, overcome thinning hair. I just wait. Could I just say how amazing it is that you're like, we want to start a business. What are some easy targets we can go after? Let's see. During cancer, baldness, um, you know, like who world peace, world peace. I'm just like whoever comes up with, or even thinks that they can, like, you know, with a few pennies to rub together, thinks that they can tackle something as huge as like baldness. Uh, I, I mean. Our innocent you have a dream. You got to have a dream. I know. I mean, I'll tell you this though. There's, it's crazy, right? Like th- that naivete is one of the best things. Oh, though. It's like, so that, yeah. And, and it's like, so the way we approach these entrepreneur clubs is we came with, um, we would always, the, the, the only homework we had as a trio was you had to come to the table with um, problems you had that week or, or issues you're having in your life. Anything that you need to solve. So whether it was like you couldn't find a parking spot or, you know, your, your um, knee-high boots kept slouching, you'd come to the table and say, well, here were the annoying things that happened to me this week. And then we would sort of talk through, are there solutions that we could think through? Because if you're having this problem, probably a hundred other people are. And so Justin was actually not only working for that guy, but um, his hair was sort of starting to thin. He and was it, also a customer. Yeah. <laughs> and at, at, the, at the young age of 27 or whatever, he's like, it's too young. And it's annoying. He's like, every time I take a shower, there's like too much hair in the freaking drain. And so that was actually one of the problems he bought forward. And so I guess it didn't feel so grandiose as saying, we're going to save the world from baldness. It was more like, well, if we can do something about this. And, as we, and with every idea we brought to the table, nothing was off limits. It was like, okay, let's spend the next week. Like everybody had homework um, going into these meetings and coming out. So coming out of that meeting, it was like, okay, everybody do their research. You know, you'll research the slouching boots. I'll research the hair loss thing. You research something else. We'd each take something. And when I started researching what would regrow hair, of course, I was into food. So I was looking into that kind of stuff. I started finding all the stuff on the internet about the kombucha scoby, which is, for those of you who don't know, it's the culture that you put into tea that transforms the tea into kombucha. And so essentially the scoby is the house for all the probiotics that end up in your gut. And to make a to make a SCOBY, you basically, you have to start with one. And then when you make kombucha, it makes a second one. So as long as you always start with one, you can make forever more never-ending SCOBYs. But you have to make kombucha to basically get another SCOBY. Uh, where the first SCOBY came from, nobody knows. That's the mystery. Um, <laughs> who knows? But back to the SCOBY thing, it's like a pancake sort of structure. It looks like a piece of tofu or something like that. And it's got all those probiotics. And it. it's not too different than what you put into yogurt to make real yogurt or sourdough to make real sourdough. But they put it on, on the head as a mask. And I was finding this all over the internet. Um, you put the SCOBY on your bald head. Or thinning hair, yes. Or thinning hair, yes. Fascinating. And, and people were like, yeah, and some people were mixing it with things like coconut or avocado, other things. But people were like, no, no, this really works. And remember, we had very little money, like very little. And, but I had, I knew how to make kombucha. I made a really good kombucha. Um, so I was like, we could freaking try this on Justin for free. You know, <laughs> let's just see. Um, and so we didn't know exactly like how big the business would be yet. This was not like business school case study where we're looking at the addressable market. I'm like, no, no, no. It was Justin, Scobie's in the kitchen. We're going to count his hairs in the drain when he takes a shower <laughs> and see if that changes. I love that, but- 
like the, I love how non-scientific it all is with like a science back. But it's also quite um, creative in its in how you measure the results. Like I wouldn't think to count the hairs in the drain, but that's just as legitimate a way to track it as anything else. So. Well, we looked into the laser counter thing that you could buy for $20,000 that would count hair on a head. And we were like, well, we can't do that. So we'll just count it by hand. <laughs> and so, of course, and you know, it was actually quite scientific. We, we wanted to make sure we had a baseline threshold. So for the first three weeks, we just counted his hairs um, <laughs> to get his average rate of hair loss in the shower. I'm not even kidding you. And Vanessa and I and Justin would all split that job because it sucked. But, you know, it is pretty funny that out of that for a business. So basically, we're doing this for three weeks. And I remember we would like wrap. It's, I'm saying this now and it sounds so silly, but it really was how it started. We, we would count the um, hairs and then put them in a, a paper towel and roll it up and like log it. We'd be like, okay, this is sampled January 7th, 37 hairs or something. And like, there were always questionable hairs, you know, like, is this a hair from the head? And then also um, broken hairs, dog hairs, you know, it sort of, it got a little non-scientific and it got frustrating, Um, certainly wasn't glamorous. And then like, I don't know, somewhere toward the end of the project, we wanted to get a three week threshold or baseline. Somewhere toward the end of that three weeks, we got a connection to a friend who ran a farmer's market or a friend of a friend who ran a farmer's market and was sort of like, look, we've got this opportunity this summer. We're trying to bring more, you know, non-food items in and beauty products. in." that was sort of, remember at the beginning of the farmer's markets, like, I don't know, maybe a decade ago, we started to be able to buy soaps there. And Mm -hmm. that was like right around then. So they're like, we'd love to bring in an idea of like a kombucha based hair product. And Vanessa, of course, had told this friend that, that we were working on that. So, um, and one of the three things, the things about the three of us that everybody knows now that works for us, and it's a, it's a blessing and a curse, <laughs> but we always say yes too early. That's just our thing. And so, of course, when there was an opportunity at a farmer's market, it didn't matter that we didn't have a product yet. Um, we had the idea and that was enough. And we said yes. And the other challenge was that the market started in a month. So we had about a month to get a product together. Big market, right? The one in Brentwood? Yeah, it was the Brentwood Farmer's Market, which is like one of the best ones in LA. And by the way, there's like an 18-month line to get in. So the fact that we had this opportunity, the three of us were like, what do we have to lose? It's well, that is the, an example of an opportunity that you say yes to, and then you back into it. Because to your point, if you've got that many people ahead of you, you'll just figure it out. You're, you, you can't say no and, and risk that losing that opportunity. And we had nothing to lose at the time. We had no, uh, like that's where the innocence and naivete is almost, was almost our best asset. We really believed that like we could make this work. And at the very worst, it would be a summer thing, a summer fling where we'd make some money and then we could buy that laser hair counter. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that was sort of how we thought about it. Okay. So you had one month. Okay. So, so we had one month and uh, we didn't yet know about kombucha, right? But I had been already making by the way. So while we were counting hairs for Justin's baseline hair loss thing, I was also making a ton of kombucha and I was doing that to you know, cultivate and, and propagate these scobies. And so the liquid of the kombucha was kind of the byproduct. It was sort of not what we were interested in. Although I made really good kombucha, so I wasn't going to throw it out. I bottled it in the cheap bottles that I could find at LA General Bottle Supply, um, which happened to be 16 ounce brown amber glass bottles. 
And they were like, yeah, some you know medicine company bought a bunch and didn't need them. So we have these extra like 75% off. So I bought those um, just to bottle our kombucha. And I would give it to friends and stuff like that. But it was unlabeled. But I was making so much kombucha, you know, imagine a stovetop in a, an apartment, right? You've got like four burners or something. Every night I was making as much kombucha, you know, so we were making probably eight, 10 batches of kombucha a day. And, you know, it would take three weeks for it to come, come forth and make an actual kombucha brew. But I was doing this every day. So once we got to three weeks, I was like, we were bottling a lot. And pretty quickly, right around the time of the farmer's market opportunity, we had like 60, 70 cases of unlabeled kombucha. And it was annoying. It was taking over our apartment. And really like the, the money was in the scobies, right? So it was like, this thing was almost seen as a nuisance. So yeah, we were like, okay, great. We've got this farmer's market in four weeks. You know, that means we need to basically make our product. Uh, let's see, back in the labels, back in the packaging of this thing. But yeah, we need to make them today. <laughs> so we sat down, we devoted our Saturday. I remember we all had like recipe books of like, what goes into hair masks. And we were like blending scobies with avocados (laughs) and stuff. And our vision was that it was going to be this beautiful high-end tub that you would sell for like 50 bucks or something like that and um, smell really good. And wow, like we could not... I mean, the afternoon was not enough to figure that out. Let's put that together. Let's just, you know, it was... It took like a few hours for us to be like, we're not going to be able to do this today. (laughs) It smelled really bad. You know? <laughs> Basically, it was the aroma. Some yogurt in it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And so we were like, okay, quick pivot. And you know, like a movie scene, we saw sixty cases of kombucha like sitting up on the wall, taking over our apartment, and we're like, all right, I guess we're gonna sell that. And I remember we called the farmers market person. And they're like, yeah, whatever, sure. Yeah, kombucha <laughs> sounds good. And so we're like, okay, we have the product. Now we just got to make a label, a brand. And like, you know, it's really good kombucha. Let's think about the flavors we want to offer. And again, the pressure was kind of off. We really thought about it as a summer project that was going to, you know, solve for the needs, this bigger business idea. had. We had not lost sight of the hair loss thing yet. It still felt like the opportunity. Um, And in some ways, that was also a really good um, lesson, certainly like a important moment because we didn't put so much pressure on this product. And so we allowed ourselves to go out there and just kind of make it happen, see how it goes. And the lesson there is to me today, even today, I think about that lesson. I try to apply it, but um, the game is played out there. You can do all the preparation and practice in-house and try to get something to perfect. And maybe there's truth and importance to that, but for health aid in our story, at least it was all about tweaking it once you were out there. Like the product that we put out there that first week, it was just okay. It was really good kombucha, but you know, it like exploded and stuff. And the labels were hand scotch taped on. It, it was, you know, not at all what I would think somebody would pay five dollars for a kombucha for was. But I was wrong. We sold out in an hour the first time. An hour. It was like yeah. nuts. We couldn't believe how much cash we generated in one hour's time. You know, for us living on whatever we were living on at the time, it was like, whoa, okay, let's do this again. How were and, you guys pitching it? Like, how, because what was at that point, um, people had heard of, of kombucha, people were drinking kombucha, it existed in the market. So you were basically presenting this. I mean, 
Was it selling out because it was like in the Brentwood, it was in a farmer's market. It was sort of the context. It had these like really rustic kind of handmade, you know, this, that kind of appeal. So it felt probably more authentic and homemade and better for you and all the rest. I mean, how probably much? All those things. Yeah. yeah. All those probably things. All those things. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was, we kind of were a little bit right place, right time. So you had talked about GT. GT had already been like slugging the streets for 11 straight years. So there was a good number of people that already knew what kombucha was and they were buying GT. So ours to those people was like the more premium, mysterious, even healthier artisanal one, you know, and it did look that way. I mean, it truly was. It was, um, you know, in a brown bottle, we had hand labeled everything and the kombucha itself was flavored with cold pressed juice that we pressed from fruit we bought at the market the previous week. So it was like the, if you were into kombucha, this was, this was the, the best of the kombuchas. It's like what you get at the farmer's market. You know, it's always better, right? Like their cheese is, their, everything is better. So I think but probably about half of our consumers were people who already knew what kombucha was and they were just buying the one that was now better tasting, more artisanal, more premium. Yeah. But um, I liked your question because we were very, you know, it sort of hits on, we were already... Once we recognized in a couple markets that there was something here, we were like, this is for way more than just the people who are buying it. Like the people who are already knowing about kombucha, they sort of looked the same. And I hate to categorize it, but it was mostly female, like people holding a yoga mat, really into that sort of like yoga world. And Justin was like, I'm not like that. And it's changed my life. And I know there are all these people out here that like probably are avoiding it because I don't know, it's kind of weird sounding and weird looking or whatever. Like we need to be expanding essentially who is attracted to this product. So very much early on, we were focused on getting more people in. And that's always been a thing that Health Aid's done well. And the best actually in the category of bringing new people into it. Mm -hmm. Part of it is how our package looks. But I think our flavor is more appealing and like, I guess it's not as like vinegary as some of the others. And that's because we use all fresh fruit and everything like that. So it's like we, uh, the way we got people in, and I think the way we created that kind of buzz was that we were bringing people into something that was new. Right. And so we weren't just calling it kombucha, you know, like uh, this mysterious, like hippy dippy thing. We were talking about it way more, you know, an approachable way. Like, have you ever heard of probiotic tea? Come try it. You know, and nobody was allowed to enter that market and leave it without trying our food, by the way. We would get them on the front end, on the back end, and in the middle. We would get in so much trouble. We were always at risk of getting kicked out of the market because we would send Vanessa to the front, me to the back, Justin would man the table, or we'd switch. And we'd just be handing out samples on a tray. And they were like, you can't do that. You know, and we're like, oh, sorry. Yeah, you told us that an hour ago. And we just kept kind of doing it. But that, you know, so we were very, keen on getting new people in and in a way that, you know, I think was most approachable. So yeah, I mean, that summer very much is obviously probably the biggest marquee moment for us because whereas we, we went into the summer thinking we were going to start a totally other business and this was just going to be a small project. We came out realizing we have something here and there is a huge market of people that don't even know what it is. Yeah. Mm. And it's, um, yeah. To this day, right. It takes, you know, for, for all of its benefits and for how long it's been around and for how much 
<clears throat> education has happened over the past like few years specifically about just fermentation and fermented foods and keeper and yogurt and kimchi, whatever. It's still got like, you still have to do quite a bit of educating and there's still a little bit of a, maybe I, there's still a little bit of a fear factor with the SCOBY. I mean, people sort of drink it and they're like, what is this slimy gobbly goop in the bottom of my thing? It's like, you know, it's, it's like weird to a lot of people. So how do you, and you started to talk about a little bit, but how do you get around the, how do you gently introduce it to people? How do you get them to taste it? How do you get them over that fear factor? Yeah. Well, um, for one, you know, the, the liquid itself, the process of making kombucha, the industrialization, I guess you could say of making kombucha is, is now reached a point where companies are getting really good at dialing it in. It's not like if you looked at the story of yogurt 20, 30 years ago, yogurt was only something that was eaten by the hippies and dippies of the world. It was a super granola product. It was really, it had lacked consistency. The bottles would burst. It was very similar to kombucha. And obviously today, it's super mainstream and companies have dialed it in. You you can get every kind of yogurt you want. I think kombucha has passed that important tipping point of product being... Because there's benefits of being artisanal, but there's also downsides of it. Like, you know, the gobbly goop in the bottle that that probably is happening because the bottle has been sitting a little bit too long and continuing to ferment. So if you can dial that in as a company without, you know, compromising the liquid at all, you can now start to create a customer experience that's consistent, that's always delicious, that's not going to be like precarious in any way. So for one thing, I think kombucha has reached that point now. Most of the products on the shelf are going to be ones that like, you know, don't explode in your hand. Mm-hmm. More, but 10 years ago they were. So that's one thing. The second thing is how you talk about it. You know, um, I mean, for us, even the font size, the font choice we pick is important because it's got to look not scary or not weird. Um, it's got to look appealing. It's got to be clear. We're going to continue to dig into being more clear on what kombucha is. In fact, that's one of our biggest goals for next year is to really just talk about what kombucha is and what it does for you in such a clear way that it's like not scary. And I think there's huge opportunity there for the whole category, to be honest. But yes, yeah, how you talk about it. Is it kombucha, the weird, mysterious scoby thing that came from an alien? Or is it probiotic tea that's fermented just like your yogurt? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what people don't recognize is that SCOBY is no different than sour, what you use for sourdough bread, for yogurt, for other fermented foods. And it really is just a vehicle to hold your probiotics, which really aren't that scary anymore. So kind of taking the SCOBY out of the equation, it's not really as important as everybody's making it out to be. It's what's in the SCOBY that's important. It's the bacteria, yeast, and enzymes that actually eat the sugar, they eat the tea, and they make all kinds of interesting byproducts. And in that metabolism and making those byproducts is those byproducts that have health benefits. Mm-hmm. And those health benefits are like awesome and totally things you want. It's not just about digestion. It's about everything that the gut commands. And what we're learning is that it commands so much. It's like the number one driver of your skin and hair health. It's the number one driver of your immunity, number one driver of your mood. So to think that the biggest sort of like goal I have next year is to connect for people that gut health is more to do more, more than just digestion. It is like so much more. Yeah. Well, I think, 
I think also it's similar to, in many ways, similar to what we experienced with Blueprint like way back in the day, which is, you know, kind of taking that. We had the same, like the original clientele that was drinking cold pressed juice was like, you know, the people that hung out in a health food store next to the juice bar. It had nothing to do with being sophisticated. It had nothing to do with being even clear cut as to what it was and what it wasn't. And, you know, our approach was very similar. Like, let's just be super blunt and clear about what is in this bottle and not like, you know, muck it up with all sorts of like salesy language and whatever. Just make it really clear, make it feel approachable. And, um, you know, for us, like the transparency was maybe also a concern because this is like the first juice on the shelf that, you know, settles and separates. And that's actually okay. But it's kind of that question of like, encouraging your consumer to just like, to, to, you know, slowly kind of get there. I mean, it's interesting, your, your bottles, the fact that it was just a happy accident is amazing, because they're so beautiful. They're so distinctive. But you probably also had a little bit of that added benefit of like, because they're dark, you can't totally see how much like potentially yucky stuff is inside. So you maybe like get over that a little bit. Well, the brown bottle too, uh, protects the probiotics a bit because yeah. you don't die as fast. So I actually wanted a brown bottle when I was bottling it because I was still interested in like, you know, capturing the whatever vitality of the brew, but even bef- even if I wasn't going to sell it. But yeah, 100%. I mean, it that clarity, I think, is something people seek today. Yeah. Especially well, in food. And I think, yeah, I mean, I think more and more today, I mean, now we're like, you know, we're on our like second project with something weird that we're trying to make mainstream with functional mushrooms. But it's, it's really like, it does feel like in general, there is a more universal um, open-mindedness to stuff that maybe was a little bit weird, you know, 10 years ago, or maybe was something that used to be, you know, what your like weird healthy friend was into with the yoga bag, but now it's, you know, what everybody's doing. That I feel like it's nice to see that there's a little bit of a sea change in just, you know, because wellness kind of is the underpinning of, of pretty much everything now. So and it makes people, I think part of it is that it makes you feel good. Like, I don't know about you guys. I take, by the way, I take mushrooms every day. Send me whatever you're doing. You do? I'm what kind of mushrooms are you taking? What kind of extra? Um, I have, I take this immunity mushroom pill that's got five different mushrooms. It's got chaga. Let me, I can look it up for you. Cordyceps, lion's mane, and turkey tail. There you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I think I know the brand who sells it. Yeah. So just for everybody who doesn't know, like we're talking about functional mushrooms, medicinal mushrooms, not uh, psychotropic mushrooms. So, or psilocybin. But yeah, so it's, it's challenging. I know you're saying like people drink kombucha because it makes them feel good. You know, yeah. how much of it is like immediate? Is there some immediate zing that you get when you drink a kombucha? Probably not. Maybe it's from like the 1% alcohol. I don't know. But like really you want to, you want to include it. You want to take it as a habit, right? You just want to incorporate this into your lifestyle because it's yeah. like slowly building your gut health, et cetera. It's but I do thing. notice that I have to say like, it's my yeah. two o'clock uh, between lunch and um, dinner and like right at the end of the workday, I always find myself in this like slump. I guess, you know, it's often referred to as the 3 p.m. slump. I'm not the only one, but I'm like searching for something in my mouth, you know, like I want a snack or whatever. I don't want to have a coffee. And like now I know it's my habitual time to have my kombucha. And it's like, I do feel it. And I don't think it's not just the, um, well, just to, sort of correct it. It's it's under half a percent alcohol, which is yeah. indetectable by your blood. Like you're not yeah. even so that's not it. And it does have a little bit of juice with which has some sugar in it. So like okay, maybe there's that, but like half an apple worth of juice. Mm-hmm. So right. not, it's probably not a sugar hit here. 
And in my mind, it's just like all that sort of the bubbliness, the the, the cold friction in your mouth, sure. But like, it, I do feel it. Like I miss it when it's gone. Yeah, for sure. And, um, and then it gets me through to dinner. But yes, the point is you're supposed to like have it regularly. That's the thing about gut health. It's not a switch. It's not like an energy drink. Right. For which food in general, right, is the, is, is the idea is to incorporate it into your daily yes. diet. Which is harder to convince consumers of than one might think because habits are habits for a reason. So, I mean, do you guys focus on encouraging daily use or do you find that it sort of happens organically or is it just not as much a concern for you because anything is better than... Like taking it at all is better than not. Yeah. Our focus... To be honest, I mean, I think there's opportunity there. And maybe if you were going to ask me that in three years, that will be my focus is getting people to think about it daily. Our focus really has been getting new people in. And yeah, I'm kind of betting on the fact that they're going to try it the first time and probably be like, I'm not sure if I could drink a whole bottle of that. Very few times do people say, oh my God, I love this the first time. They drink it and they're like, I'm not sure. But then they're like, wait, no, I really should be drinking this. I need probiotics, blah, blah, blah. They try it again and then they try it again. And maybe by the fourth time, they're like, wait, I'm actually starting to crave this now. And then you find yourself in this pool of people, which like continues to grow, that are like, I need my kombucha. <laughs> like, even if it's not daily, they need it weekly or a couple times a week. And so my goal is to get more people into that pool. And I, I just think they're naturally drinking more. I mean, you guys tell me you're kombucha drinkers. Like, did you love it your first time? Well, just I mean, taking it back to the alcohol point for a second, because it's <laughs> come a long way on that tip. Um, obviously, yeah. when it first came out, there was definitely a lot more alcohol, and which I quite enjoyed. Um, mm-hmm. And it's funny to see it now come back around as like hard kombucha as a sort right. of separate line. But it was, I would seek out the kombucha with like a higher alcohol percentage when I was pregnant because it was just like, I mean, you're pregnant, you're not drinking typically. And uh, I, I talk about craving it. Yes. Like every day. <laughs> like, oh, I'm yeah. Well, I loved it during pregnancy. Yeah. I think the, um, just the feeling and taste of it gave you a sense that you were enjoying something like a glass of wine or... Well, because it's alive in the same way that wine is. It's got that sense of like actual vitality to it, which makes it feel... It's got bubbles. It's got the acids. It's not just water. And I mean, when you're pregnant, how sick of you? I mean, I was so sick of water. I was like, can I just... I I just want something better. Yeah. 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 It's definitely a good uh, good way to switch it up. And it's like, and if you want some kind of like bubbly soda type drink. I mean, what a great substitute. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm not to sound like an infomercial, but yeah, it does substitute like a lot of I mean. throughout the day, right? Yeah. No, I, mean, I love it too. Yeah. I know we don't have a ton of time up. I want to hear a little bit like about how you got to, you know, from farmer's market to where you are now, which is everywhere. Yeah. I mean, that beginning moment it's just a moment, you know, and it's, it's, it's the romantic part of the story that is so, it's so important to talk about, but the success of health aid really, that's just one moment of so many things that it took to get here. And, you know, I would probably argue that those things are the most important things. And many people have written about this. A great book is called The Messy Middle. And it's, I think it just summarizes this nicely, but it is that messy middle of decision-making, of growth, of, mistakes of falling off the horse of getting back on the horse that get you here. I mean, yeah, fast forward to today, we're, you know, 
probably 150 plus million in, in retail sales. We've got 150 employees. We're in 40,000, close to 40,000 stores across the nation. It's awesome. It's you know, amazing. It's awesome. awesome. But what it's taken has been so many lifts and hikes and falls. I hate to talk in metaphors, but it is, um, it's been awesome and crazy. And, 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 and it didn't take experience for any one of the three of us to get here, you know? Right. Uh, and that's the, the, the best sort of advice or I guess note I like to give to aspiring entrepreneurs is that you don't need to know. You don't need to know. You just have to have the drive. Yeah. Um, I think in some ways you're actually better off not knowing. I mean, that level of blissful ignorance, you can never get it back. And, you know, to your point earlier, it does help you just continue to drive forward because you kind of, you literally don't know what you don't know. So you don't know to second guess yourself. And and I mean, I don't want to, you know, step on your point, but I think that's super valuable. You took it home, girl. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I recognized, I don't know, a couple of years ago, I brought an aspiring entrepreneur to come see the brewery. And the brewery is always very exciting, right? It's where the kombucha is made. So Mm -hmm. there's fast filling lines and all kinds of equipment. And it's pretty awesome. Very starkly different than how it looked in the beginning, which Mm -hmm. was you know, my kitchen and a closet. Um, after that, a tiny shared kitchen. After that, a tiny brewery. I mean, there were so many steps before it took here. But a couple of years ago, I brought somebody through and I remember seeing her face. She was so discouraged. And when I dug in after, I recognized that I had almost not done a disservice by showing her the brewery, but it had not encouraged her. It discouraged her because she had no idea how to build that. How was she going to right. build that? Right, And I, I think a really important lesson for me in that moment was like, oh, I didn't know how to do this either then, huh? You know, not at yes. all. I didn't know how to do this until the time it was, until the time it was to build this. Like, in other words, you don't have to worry about that just yet. It will come and your lessons will come and you'll have to decide between the things that are available to you. And each of them will be uncomfortable because it'll be new, but it's not going to be demanding of you. Like, it's business is so cool that way. It always demands of you exactly like just what you're ready to learn. Right. But I think that's a super important lesson, especially for female entrepreneurs, because I think oftentimes women are just so much more inclined to kind of shrink, like just like in the story that you just described, like shrink at the prospect of like, oh, I'm not sure I can do that. So therefore I won't. Whereas men are typically like, oh yeah, that's no problem. Even if they have no fucking idea what they're doing. And I'm really not generalizing like this is statistically true. And there's some amazing quote by Hillary Clinton that I'm going to botch. So I'll just put it in the notes because I can't remember it now. But something about like women are judged by... I know what it is. Yeah, please. Women are... Men are judged by their accomplishments. No, what they, their promises, what they promise to do. Something like women are... Oh fuck! We screwed. Men it up. are dressed by their accomplishments. Men. Wait are... a minute! It's so good though. We'll okay. put it in the notes. But we'll anyway, the, the point is, I feel like it's a really important lesson for for female entrepreneurs to hear. Like, you didn't get there overnight, but that isn't like. But seeing that enormous facility and feeling daunted by it is also okay. Like, you have to understand that there's a journey to get there. But just like you said, like. You didn't have any training. You figured it out and did put one foot in front of the other. It's the same thing we did. We had no formal training when we did Blueprint. Like, It's very, very possible. It's very, very feasible. But I think it takes a lot of entrepreneurs and especially women. I think it really takes some convincing that you know, you're know you just as equipped as, as the next one. 
Yeah. And every expert out there started with no expertise. So that, I mean, I, I, the quote, whatever it is, like, I would almost like take it to the next level and say, okay, yeah, that's true. Maybe it's how the outside world is judging us. And there's that sort of like, maybe there's a lot out of our control in that. But I think so much is in our control. I guess what I'm trying to say is women tend to hold themselves back from an opportunity because they, they don't know enough. And so they like to, you know, gain expertise first right. before promising. And then I've, I've read the statistics too, that men, you know, overpromise. Um, even if they might underdeliver, and 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 so we can change that about ourselves, right? That's totally in our control. We can approach a situation and say, okay, I might not know how to do that yet, but I've got the brains to figure it out, right? And that's yeah. that's the only thing you have to trust. And so that's why business, especially starting a business, is so much about betting on yourself. Mm-hmm. And I have I have a quote in our bathroom that said, "When you bet, when you bet on yourself, you might just win." And it's like it's very true. It, it, Business, the experience of business is just betting on what's up here and what's in here and what's in your gut um, versus what you know. Right. Yeah. 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 You can can learn whatever it is you need to know, but you have to actually have the belief in the first place. Yeah. It's the drive. To me, the most important thing of starting a business is you got what it takes to put in that grit. Yep. Um, Wait, I wanted to ask one quick question on that note of... um, uh, sort of how women are, whatever, on the woman tip. Um, because if one more person sends me an article about how um, only 2%, less than 2% of venture capital goes to women, I'm going to rip my hair out. When did you bring on investors? Early. Yeah. About one and a half years in from the first bottle sold at that first farmer's market, we uh, signed a deal with a private equity group called First Beverage and probably did a round of funding every year uh, the last eight years, except for a couple. So okay, fundraise, and we brought in a second private equity group called Kavu uh, about halfway through and then Coca-Cola invested last year. So it's been a, a journey of gaining and getting support from investors around us. And I will say that I don't think my gender had was in the way at all. I mean, everybody was very receptive to me being at the table. So uh, I hate that quote too, but I certainly don't think it should hold people back. They're, if anything, it's an opportunity for you because maybe, maybe they're looking, looking for more females. I don't know. But yeah, there's a whole book I could write on what it takes to, to raise money and raise money right. And um, really, really grateful though. Yeah, we, we didn't have a lot of money to start. So for us, there weren't a lot of debt options. Although I would recommend going debt probably as, as much as you could first, but we just didn't have that available to us. So having First Beverage Group and private equity available to us at the outset, which is very unusual, um, was like a gift. Mm-hmm. It was really a gift because we could grow from it. You know, people might not realize that to grow a business like HealthAid has grown, it takes it takes capital. It takes more capital than you think. Our first round of investment, I thought that would be it. Like I remember when we got the money, we were like, "All right, that's it. We can take this thing to every bridge in America." You know, and like we were really wrong because it takes so much to build distribution to get your footprint out there and. We have manufacturing, so we had to actually buy equipment. And but the good news is, eight years later, you know, we are a healthy business now. We don't, you know, we don't spend more than we make. We're profitable, and it's like really nice to be on the other side of that. 
And you yeah. can build that earlier on. It doesn't take eight years. It's not like a magic number. But if you want to grow this fast, that's usually what it takes is capital. So you kind of have to decide as you build your business, do you want to cut, kind of grow it organically, sustainably, slower, or fast with a ton of support, and then you know get to a profitable business later? Yeah. Generally. There are all those yep. lucky people that figure it out in the beginning. I don't know. <laughs> Just depends on the product. Not me. Um, well, congratulations to you. That is, is such a tremendous business. And your your story, uh, the early beginnings are just so fun and precious. I love that story. And inspiring, yes. Yeah. We always talk about like, for our big innovation, should we make a hair loss product? You know? Yes. <laughs> You're like... Yeah, that's the probably, probably could, We could probably buy that laser hair counter now. Well, yeah. so how is Justin's hair now? The inquiring minds want to know. He's still got a full head of hair, so who knows? Maybe you just have to drink kombucha. Or maybe, he, maybe he's never going to lose it. I don't know. That's we never put a scoby on a head. <laughs> never did. So there's opportunity there. Well, Dinah, this has been so fun and so inspiring and just an awesome story and it's it's incredible and impressive and it's a great brand and we personally love it the pink lady is delicious and uh yeah we just wish you continued success and keep spreading the good the goodwill because you're definitely really good at it uh thank you guys thank you so much for having me today it was the best part of my morning (laughs) oh yay well thank you all right take care guys have a good day thanks for listening to htw If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800-674-1839 or holler at us on social at HTW Podcast. You can also head to our website at htwpodcast.com dot com for more episode info and check out our daily blend blog to see what we're drinking.